episode of the Bowfinger Minute podcast. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts, like us, examine the 1999 Frank Oz-directed comedy Bowfinger. One minute of screen time per episode. It's finally Friday. We are still... Yeah, we are still the hosts and that other guy from Edge of Tomorrow Minute where we we do this movie by minute thing for that movie, Edge of Tomorrow, which you may know by live, die, repeat... I almost said live, die, retweet, but whatever. <laughs> if you lasted till minute 10 or or you just started at minute six because you're big fans of us and you lasted till Friday of this week, you know how the format works. We're just going to do it again. I don't know why I'm talking about it. One more time. This this is it for Bowfinger, for us. Mm-hmm. You know, there are going to be lots of great people after us. Some not so great people. Oh. After us. I don't, I don't want to name names, but they're, they're out Throwing there. Throwing down the gauntlet. They know who they are. At minute 10, which opens on what Dave is supposed to be doing and ends with Bowfinger about to have lunch. I, I don't know why I threw that into the... But 9 and 10 get the starts and ends with treatment. Yep. <sighs> Dave, Dave is still laying out the conditions for taking the car f- may, from... May, may I ask just, just to pause for just for a second? Yeah, sure. Have, have we said our names? Should we say our names? <laughs> I'm Dave Forsyth, one of the hosts of Edge of Tomorrow Minute. And on the other one, Todd Lucas. But my name is John Walensky. Nice. And what do you do? What, whatever you need, Dave. Whatever you need. Okay. I need someone to remind me what I'm doing sometimes. So Yeah, usually I do that, but I, I'm pretty sure there's at least one, if not two episodes of our podcast where it slipped you and me. I mean, if you want professional quality pod- podcasts, you join the, somebody's Patreon. We, you know, we don't. We don't, we don't <laughs> oh, do, no. We don't. We're, we're going <laughs> to refuse to accept your money. I mean, there's not yeah, anything no, you could do to give us money on this. No. So. You, Let's throw cheese down my chimney. I don't know why I said that. That's not a thing people say. But and like maybe that would be some sort of compensation. It's late. It's late here, guys. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. You're killing me, Dave. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So Dave, the car wash technician slash production assistant. uh, We we don't think he works for the car wash, right? No, no. He's way too important for that. Yeah, right. He's got a badge. He's got a lanyard. Yeah, he comes here and he tells people, clean this. Yeah, those guys work for him. And hurry up because I got to have it back in 45 minutes. <laughs> well, because by the time the car gets back to him, it'll probably be like, I got to have this back in five minutes. So just, you know, wipe it down. Uh, Davis is laying out the conditions for for Bowfinger to take the car. And he, he tells him he's supposed to be washing it, uh, which, you know, I assume Bowfinger knew that since they've done this before and 
they're in a car wash. Uh, so that that bit of exposition was just just for the audience, I think. Bill Finger gets in in the car and he asks Dave, "Has Renfro left yet?" So clearly, Dave is more than just the car guy. He's also the man with inside knowledge. And Dave replies, "About fifteen minutes ago, he should be getting to the restaurant about now." Bill Finger locks eyes with Dave and. He's got to sell him pretty much the same way he did the rest of the crew. He says, listen, Dave, if this meeting goes like I think it will, I'll see you at the Oscars. No, he no. he says, I'm, I'm making you cameraman. You know what that means? And he, he's very earnest about this. He he believes that this meeting is going to go that way. So the, the camera then locks on, on Dave's face. And Dave does not share Bowfinger's excitement. His, no. his face is very, very uh, stoic. It's pretty much the same way the the crew crew back at the office was when you know at the beginning of the the talk he's uh, clearly been through this sort of thing with Bowfinger before and Dave says it means you'll be living up to your promise like I said the the history of undelivered promises here yeah Bowfinger says that's right and he starts the car he said and if this movie gets made I'm giving you my van and he smiles and drives off without waiting for the response Dave just sort of yells after him he says but it's my van and he sort of shrugs with with frustration and he stands there looking at the van for a second and sort of disappointed by it i think he knows how worthless that van is because it's, it's his van so yeah sure but i don't think it's worthless well no it, it's mobile in <laughs> in los angeles you know that's that's half the it may even be street legal who knows what well, what's interesting about the van and, and i'm not sure so what what it looks like to me is that there's water or or some sort of fluid pouring from the bottom of the van now that could just be water from the from the um the car wash operation so it might not be coming from the van yeah but but it's it just adds to the idea that this is not a a a very quality very quality piece of equipment yeah i would tend to agree and i can't think of any time i've seen a wooden roof rack on a van like that yeah it's just a i don't know a normal roof rack but uh the it was probably uh, aluminum spars originally on sure. those posts, just, and yeah, they, just wouldn't lay it over. The yeah, top. they probably got destroyed by use, and so that somebody just ripped up a few pallets. They they stole probably and hacked them up there. I think the best thing about about this Dave scene is that at the point that this movie came out, Jamie Kennedy was probably arguably one of the bigger stars in this movie. Hmm. I mean, like the name doesn't really do much for us these days, but. At that point, I think he'd been in one or maybe even two of the first Scream, first three Scream movies, which were, you know, a big sensation at the time. And he was immediately preceded this movie by Three Kings, which did well, and Enemy of the State, which was kind of boilerplate, but Will Smith, Gene Hackman movie that, that I think did pretty well. And right after this, he's going to do four seasons of the Jamie Kennedy experiment. That's what I thought. That's what yeah. I thought he had. A, he had his own TV show with his name in the title. Yeah, it was on MTV and it was sort of a candid camera sketch. No, I'm sorry. It was on WB, I think. That's what I thought, a, too. That's what I yeah. thought, too. It was a broadcast show. Yeah, it was it was sort of a candid camera sketch show type thing where, you know, he would do pranks to, to people. And I don't remember if this was one of the ones where they did celebrity pranks. I think that might have come a little later with that punked show. Um, I think this was still pranking innocent civilians, but... <laughs> I, I, inexplicably, for some reason, Jamie Kennedy became this name that we all had to know because he was on television. But here he is sort of a I don't want to call this a bit part like it's this is an ensemble ish cast, oh, yeah. you know, led by a couple of marquee names. But like 
he gets quite a bit of screen time and, and he True. has he has probably more lines than other parts of the crew yeah I think he's important, the, the most important part of the crew, because he never actually <laughs> buys into Bowfinger's crap. He's just along for the plan. It's like, you, you have a plan. I'm doing stuff. At every point along the way, he's ready to call bullshit, but he's not willing to quit because this is like a break, perhaps, or at least a break in his routine. Why do I have the feeling, and that's, maybe this is just something that I made up, that there's some sort of a familial connection between it, it. Did I, I mean, you, Todd, you watched it more recently than definitely than I did. Is, am I making that up? Is there like, is he like, did he date this Dave's mother or something? Like? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, you know, my, my thought was that they were, he'd been like a mentor to him as yeah, he was coming yeah, in. Cause yeah. I, I, I really believe that Bowfinger at least spent some time as a PA earlier on. So it, it could be that, you know, he still owes, he, Dave still feels that he owes Bowfinger something, but with that kind of relationship, yeah, uh, Bowfinger and Dave's mom are going to be similar aged, and that could be something that happened also. That's what that's what I that's what I guess. I mean, I guess I just made it up, but that's what I made up in my mind that he's going to say yes if both in a different way than than the crew when when that that Bowfinger has to sell them and then they do buy into it. He, you're right. He doesn't buy into it because when no. Bowfinger tries to tries to shine him on a little bit, he's and he says, "Oh, you know what's going to happen?" And then he says, "Yeah, you're going to do what you promised to do for me years ago." Yeah. But but whatever Bowfinger asks him to do, he, if it's within his power, he's going to do it. Right. On the strength of their of their relationship. Yeah, I don't think there's ever been any real pauses in in them working together. I mean, every time Bowfinger attempts something and he needs any resource at all, uh, which includes intelligence because, you know, he's he's got it, yeah. too. Mm -hmm. He comes straight to Dave. And so I'm, I'm guessing, you know, the last time he called him looking for help was maybe last week. Yeah, right. And you, you'd sort of, uh, I mean, there's a couple of things about their relationship, too, because uh, and he doesn't. He set this all up with a voicemail message, right? right. There was no like confirmation back and forth. So it's clearly and and like we said, the motion is is pretty practiced. So I think they had this maybe a fairly common occurrence. But you also you would expect to sort of see this maneuver happen in a in another type of con or heist type movie where that guy would get slipped fifty bucks and like there's there's nothing nothing here other than no promises and clearly broken ones yeah it's it's not terribly transactional at all but when, yeah, you yeah. Know, in the last minute when they you know when they do pull up you'll notice it's perfectly synchronized they pull up they yeah. stop at the exact yeah. moment the doors pop open and swing at the exact same rate they both rise to their feet and close the doors you know he closes his doors just as jamie starts walking around his door to hold it and there's there's no real reluctance on 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 Dave's part either. He just sort of states the time it's got to happen. So uh, clearly Bowfinger is a trustworthy uh, swindler. No, at least. But, he's, yeah. but he's not though, because it, and I don't want to step on, step on your toes, Dave, but Do later, it. later when he, when he <laughs> takes the phone, he yeah, destroys That's true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it, I don't think he, he's good at that, but I think Dave is good at uh, making sure someone else takes the fall. <laughs> Dave's going to, well, that, that's a possibility. Dave's, but Dave's going to do, even though Bowfinger's broken his promises, even though Bowfinger is, is not even going to live up to kind of the terms of this particular agreement. Like, yeah. oh, you have to return it in good shape. He's, he's not going to do that. Dave still does, throughout the rest of the movie, Dave still does what Bowfinger asks him to do. 
Yeah, so that, that's why I'm guessing it's got to be a fairly lengthy relationship because he's he's it's a habit, you know. Bowfinger asks for something, and and he's done so many things, you know, like you know procuring equipment and information and cars that he's an expert at it. <laughs> he's he's very much the like the guy in the van. Yeah, that that uh, has access to all the the information and things like that. But later on, he'll also be the guy who with access to the camera, right? Which is the one thing you can't make a movie without, right? right. It's <laughs> Well, he's probably been, been scoping that out. He knows where that particular piece of equipment is at all times, yeah. because when it comes to be time, he knows he, he wants to be able to, to get it and go be cameraman. <laughs> well, and he, he knows how long he can have it too. Right. right? He's, at one point he says yeah, any longer than 72 hours, it'll be a felony or something like that. <laughs> and, and yeah. He knows where it is. He knows that he can have it and he knows how long he can have it. And yeah, the ins and outs of this thing. So yeah, clearly a, a studio guy, clearly, uh, clearly the type of, of guy that you'd want to have him on your side, regardless of, of what your role in, in the movie business was. Right. He's the type of person who seems to have a lot of uh, fingers in, in a lot of different pies. I, I don't know why everything, all my analogies are food themed today, but <laughs> hungry, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. But yeah, after, after Bowfinger drives off from, from Dave, the, the next shot is um, sort of a, a curbside view of a, a restaurant called Le Dome, hmm. um, which is at, 8720 Sunset Boulevard, or I should say was. It's a, at the time, it was a very French chic restaurant, which was founded by Chef Eddie Kirkoffs. It was initially bankrolled with money donated by Elton John and Rod Stewart, among others. They essentially donated the money, but then they could eat for free at the restaurant up to the amount that they had donated. So like <laughs> early kickstarting of a restaurant or something like that. I Weird. don't really know. Yeah, but this was this definitely was a very power lunch sort of see and be seen kind of place, especially at this time. And uh, it was remodeled in in 2003 and then closed permanently in 2007. And it's still a restaurant, but it's a like casual Mexican restaurant called Tocada Organica or something similar. Mm, sounds pretentious. It sounds delicious, but well, we've sure. already established that I that I need a snack. <laughs> but uh, this restaurant also got a shout out in American Gigolo, uh, where Richard Gere asks for some restaurant recommendations and he, he gets a list back from one of the other characters. He says, Scandia, Ma Maison. Oh, and I hear Le Dome is quite nice. Classic L.A. So it, you know, it had a reputation of uh, of of being an L.A. place, even though it was all French food. So. Um, so this would have been a reference to, to L.A. people, right? They, they would right. have known this restaurant. Uh, it, it's lost on, on the Midwestern flyover yokels like, like <laughs> ourselves. So Yeah, I, I initially thought it was, you know, just a fake place. Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't look impressive from the outside. And especially with their, their valet parking set up there with the, you yeah, know, like yeah. the, just the, the one board on a stand with all the keys just hanging out in the middle of the sidewalk. Well, Los Angeles is a valet heavy place just regular diners have valet parking like this and and it's it's uh, maybe it's a necessity you know traffic and and parking are sort of bad all over los angeles so i yeah a lot of these things just sort of pop up in the daytime and then they're gone in the nighttime kind of mm. deal and it's just you know a service that really just spends the time circling for you or, or has reserved spots that, that that you can't use as a as a standard commuter type mm. person it just seems unsafe. You're going to lose all those cars. 
I mean, the keys are just hanging out in the breeze. You know, there's nothing. It's not secure at all. Yeah, it does seem like if someone like an unscrupulous movie producer of ill repute wanted mm. to acquire a vehicle and yeah it, yeah i agree it doesn't seem like a super secure thing but uh but we, we do sort of linger for a second or two on on that valet stand as a couple's coming out of the restaurant to to reclaim their car the camera then pans up the street and we see like a whole host of nicer cars than than, than the one uh, Bowfinger has gotten there's a, a classic Jag convertible mm. and a, a, a big white Rolls Royce drive up the street uh, just before the the silver SL 600 Mercedes comes comes into view even his stolen fancy for, for appearances car is sort of out of place at this at this uh, it's kind of slumming it at, 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 a, at this place so yeah. still a nice car but like it's, it's not there there are many very various grades of nice car <laughs> right yeah so Bowfinger pulls up to the curb and, and puts the, the car in park and switches it off. He leaves the, the car, the keys in the car. So it's hard to say, like, maybe he's going to be using the valet services. It's, it's not real clear, but he, he grabs the script in one hand and he kind of hesitates and, and looks around a little bit. And then he grabs the car phone off of its its mount and then he yanks the cable out and, and takes it with him. And, you know, kids these days are not going to not going to get this joke. Right. Because right. Uh, the, the, these were. There, there really weren't. Well, no, there were. There, there were truly mobile phones back then, but this, this isn't one of them. Like, I think we already had the, the StarTac and the, the Nokia, like the early Nokia candy bar phones back then. But um, in '99, but th this phone w would have been permanently mounted and powered by the, by the car, right? It, it right. didn't have a power. It didn't have battery. In, right. in the, uh, in the Mercury Capri that I mentioned in the last episode, yeah, that same car phone was in the Mercury Capri. Ah, there you go. Oh yeah, I remember that. And it. <laughs> You never had service for it, though, right? I didn't. I got a uh, I got a uh, phone card so that ah, I could okay. use I could use that phone if I wanted to. And, and it felt like uh, when I mean, obviously, this is this is more than twenty years ago. But if you felt like a real big shot, if you were <laughs> if you were talking on that phone driving around, yeah. it did make you feel like a big shot. Yeah. yeah. The weird sound effect that they put on when he yanked yeah. the cord out. If you didn't notice that this was a comedy by who was in it and how jokey it's been so far, the the swooshing sound when he steals the jacket and yeah, this yeah. weird, funny, static digital sound that it makes when it like it's sound of a digital thing dying when he pulls that. Yeah. 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 You don't get sound effects in any movie that's, you know, serious, dramatic, uh, action heavy. <laughs> you don't get funny little sound effects going along with all of the pop music that's constantly in the background. Right. So for all you folks who weren't really sure, this is not serious. It's supposed to be funny. Well, it's pretty serious for whoever owns that car because or for for Dave, probably, because yeah. it, it's not like he unplugged the handset from the phone. Yes, that's what I love about it, because it seems like that's something that you could do. I I, yeah. don't, I don't have a perfect memory of that phone, but I think that you it was like a phone that had a cord in it. That you could have just unattached it. Right. But the way they built the prop. <laughs> it seems like he did the most destructive. Yeah. And the end of the cables got, you know, like you can see a little bit of red wire hanging yeah, out yeah. of it and some other metal. And I'm like, yeah, he broke that thing. <laughs> so it's, you know, more more destructive than than removing the handset from your from your house phone. If anybody even remembers what those are anymore. So I have one. Congratulations, it's, Grandpa. It's relatively new, actually. All right, all right. <laughs> you got a nice VTech from Best, Best Buy? 
Oh, uh, yeah. I'm not sure what it was. I got it from Walmart. I think it's even more generic. Ah, than that. It, it doesn't even have an answering machine on it anymore. And it's not a landline. It's internet telephony. So. All right. Yeah. It doesn't even have caller ID. Everything old is new again, I guess. Yeah. Or did you... You didn't just buy it for fashion, right? No, we bought it because we redid the kitchen and the great big wall-mounted clunker with the oh. the, the caller ID and uh, the, you know the it, yeah. So this thing's even wired. I mean, it literally right. is just so that when the house phone number gets called, we hear something. Oh, I thought it was just because there was like a hole where the old phone was. You're like, I don't want to patch that, so no, yeah. <laughs> got to put something in there. No, yeah, uh, we had to take it out because there wasn't enough room to put the, the cabinets in. You know, it needed a few more inches, so we just gotcha, uh, gotcha. We, there's still the spot where it needs to go, where the you know the cables plugged into the wall, but we just needed just the tiniest of things. All right, decorating uh, with with ancient electronics, I guess. Pretty much, <laughs> but yeah, Bowfinger script and m- most of a phone. Half of a phone, part all of a phone, all the in, fun parts. Hand. Yeah, right. Yeah, he's got the he's got the whole part you you hold up to your ear if kids even do that these days. Mm. Um, so he he no they don't. And he comes around the back of the car and he, he sort of hesitates as he's watching some uh, probably producers of some sort, some important looking suited dudes leave the restaurant in the midst of their walk and talk. He kind of eyes them up and his suit is similar enough to, to theirs and I, you know it seems like that's what he's checking out but then then he eyes them up and he he reaches behind his head and he yanks off his ponytail with a nice velcro sound is that okay that's that's what i was i always imagined this was like a, a velcroed on extension kind of thing but there's a couple of like sound effects in here and he doesn't react to it enough that yeah it's not him ripping hair out of his head no <laughs> exactly that's, that's that's like it's not that but it would would have been funnier if he like winced a little when he pulled it off but no i guess i guess both jokes are valid the yes. fact that he was wearing a, a wow. clip-on so this ponytail so here's, but here's my question so that yeah. that's so the jacket switch makes sense mm-hmm. because he's wearing a, a jacket that's dated that that he recognizes is not fashionable, especially not for the place that he's going. So that yeah. that switch makes sense. Obviously, the the van the the van car switch makes total sense because he's right. driving a, a junky van and he's changing a more expensive car. Um, the ponytail thing, I I don't understand. I, like. Well, I, I I appreciate what you're saying about how he looks at the the other people leaving, and he realizes this place is not a place that that ponytails are are going to get much cachet. Right. But what does he get from the ponytail outside of that of that context? Right. Yeah. I I, I think it it must have been like we we see him recognizing broad trends in fashion, and he, he realizes he has to drive an important car. So like clearly he's in tune even if it's out of date to, to some trends, there must have been some producer guy ponytail trend that we didn't, sure. that, you know, we from 2023 are not privy to. My guess is that he lived through it before and, and he had a real one when he was young. And so he, he has this prosthetic ponytail and he, you notice he has it on the whole time early in earlier scenes. He, he sleeps in it. Exactly. That's my point. That's my point. So it's like, he likes it. Right. He, yeah. When, because when he was alone in his house typing, he was he had the ponytail on. Right. So yeah. He wears it for himself, not the benefit of other mm-hmm. people. So it's not it's not 
putting on the airs like the suit and the car are you you're saying that this yes was, yes it's okay. taking off something yes yeah so he's yeah. he's made his actual self look like what those guys look like he has the same haircut as both those guys but he want when he's at home he can't stand to be those guys is that it i mean yeah he's, i mean the bottom line he's, he's a ponytail guy is 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 what he is right ponytails and hawaiian <laughs> shirts is what he'd prefer to be but that that's never going to get the prestige that he wants so you know, he, he wants to be able to move in both worlds. And so that, that makes him kind of a more ambivalent character. And, and that's it changes how you have to look at it when he's conning things, because sometimes he's really into it. But that's usually amongst his crew. He's more into it with them because they're his people. Whereas those guys in the suits, those are people he still needs to con. He hasn't brought them under his influence yet. Todd, if you notice, did he ever, does he ever put that ponytail back on? You don't see him do it, but he's always got it on. He does have it. He's, yeah. So he does, he does like it. He's, yeah. he, he is a ponytail guy. Yeah. And, and you're never witness to him putting it on. You just get to yeah. see him take it off the one time for, and yeah. it's a joke, but you know, as we're uncovering here, it's, it's kind of a big character facet. You know, it doesn't really mean a lot directly in any given spot, but it tells us more about his younger self working in the business. I think it may be a signifier to something from the time that we have just lost to time, like something about the Hollywood ponytail guy that that is a marker of what they of what Steve wanted Bowfinger to be. I don't know what that is. Maybe maybe some other future podcaster people will, uh, you know, write to the ponytails <laughs> of America society and find out more about it. Ponytail history society. I had a ponytail up through 97. And that's when I cut mine off. And, and it was just like that. It was the kind that just grows out of the bottom because my hair is so damn curly when it's long. Just clipped on like that one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was the sort of thing that looked ridiculous. It was a, you know, banana curls. But then if I'd reach back and grab it, it would just pull out like this, you know, like a, you know <laughs> foot and a half long. <laughs> now, Johnny, remind me, you you had a side pony for a long time, right? Uh, I, I didn't. Um, no, I, I, I don't, uh, I don't recall that. I'm, I'm checking my memory to make sure that I'm, I'm remembering it correctly, but I don't believe it. You have some sort of long something on the side of your head for oh, like years. No, no, not for months. Years. There, oh. No, maybe months. I had this idea <laughs> about like a, like a Superman thing, basically like a, like a curl. Okay. It never worked out the way that I thought it would, but yeah. All right. But then again, I'm not Superman, you know? Yeah. He's the only one that could pull that off. So. It takes the rays of a foreign sun to, to make that happen. I think exactly. So. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, I'm, you know, I, I don't have anything to confess about my previous hairstyles. So just say that, you know, <laughs> sort of moved from one extreme to another, but yeah, too much hair, not enough hair. That's right. That's right. I didn't, I didn't plan this out very well. I should have mm -hmm. just aimed for the middle instead of yep. this, this extremes thing. But you, anyway. you and I both had way more hair at my wedding. So yeah, well, probably true. Yeah. And, but you had just come back with your, uh, your, your giant, uh, chin fro though. Oh yeah. Nice. You remember that? I, I do. Yeah. I, I saw you months beforehand and you were clean shaven and then you come back and grizzly Adams here. Yeah. Somebody, Nobody told me that the beard without a mustache um, at that level signified certain things that that, that I wasn't right. <laughs> like I I was not a 
a mountain man, nor was I Amish, nor was I, you know, like, nor was I on a TV show in the seventies. You know, it was just like, I, I was doing a lot of things that I shouldn't have been doing with that facial hair. So uh, uh, I'm glad to be brothers. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I did bootleg a Doobie brothers concert one time though, but that was, oh, uh, they would be very disappointed. Oh yeah. Day. I would. I know they would. I know they would. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I mean, that's this, Hair talk has gotten us into a lot of uh, weird places, but <laughs> since we're sort of at the the action, at the end of the action here, like all that's really left is that Bowfinger goes from the the curb to the to the major D stand, and we we don't even hear them them talk in, in this minute. But since this is our last day with with this movie on this podcast, um, unless you guys are cheating on me and and going on with another another movies by minutes team later oh yeah Let, let's oh you are okay. oh god no <laughs> let's let's spend a, a couple minutes talking about our feelings about the, because i promised i promised feelings friday yeah so let's, let's talk about our feelings about this movie i i, I think I, I i i do like this movie i it, it's it's of an older era right like it's it's slower we, we talked about how it's Frank Oz's pacing is is this movie would not be made this way today. Someone would probably have edited out a couple of storylines out of this. But I I, I do find a lot of the things funny in here. And I think they they could have I, I think because there are so many things in here, though, that you you miss a lot of interesting bits to explore the the guerrilla filmmaking thing like i said it when i was talking about cecil be demented uh, that that angle of this movie i think is very funny to throw the twin brother into that yeah i think that is also a very funny concept but to to mash the two of them together i think uh, i i think weakens both of those concepts a little bit i think the the mind had aliens bit is funny I think I just I think there's a lot of funny bits through this, but I, I I'm I, I wish that some of them weren't here and there was like another movie not called Bowfinger that that explored that bit and then let some of the other bits in this movie sort of breathe a little bit. So I don't know. I, I that's sort of my my general take on it. I I like I like the whole thing is in general. I think it is funny. I like some of the concepts better than some of the execution. So that's that's my review you know, 23 years too late of, <laughs> of, of this movie. Johnny, I know you previously in life, even though you clearly don't remember it, expressed to me that you really enjoyed this movie. So yeah, what, what yeah, do you think, I think now? I, th- I think um, that there are a lot of strong bits in this movie. I yeah. think that, that Steve Martin is uh, really enjoyable to watch in, in, in most, most of the movies that he's done. Um, this, this one is, is included. I don't know if I uh, if I were to watch it again, <laughs> I'm not sure that I if I, that I would enjoy it as much as I I seem to have enjoyed it back then. Also, I'm not inclined to watch it again, so that may may say something as well. I think that the, I think that uh, I probably enjoyed Steve Martin more than I enjoyed Eddie Murphy in this movie. Hmm. I I do think that Eddie Murphy was 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 good in this movie. He's he's not. I mean, for how huge he was at at the time and before this, really, he's not. I think he's one of the elements that doesn't really get the room to to breathe in this. I think his his uh, you know like faux Scientology relationship with his Mindhead group and his obsession with exposing himself to the Laker girls and the the whole aliens bit. Like, I think that could have been its own very funny thing. And Eddie Murphy does so many different 
comedic things so well. Like he plays that really smooth character really well. He plays this sort of manic character of of uh, Kit Ramsey, you know, who's who's manic, not just about the cult and the aliens and the exposing himself to the Laker girls. It's you know, he's also manic about his role as an actor in Hollywood. He complains that uh, about not getting the same treatment as some of the other action stars because he's black and that's you know he's got this crew around him and it's a i think that whole thing would have been interesting to explore and you know the fact that they he, he's technically in the movie a lot because he's two characters not not to spoil it but you know <laughs> kitten and, and jiff is that kitten jiff yeah that's right are, are the, they're both played by eddie murphy i think that is one of the the more wasted storylines i think you could have i think you could have used kit ramsey like filming him from afar without him ever really being in the movie in in the, the bowfinger movie not in right. chubby rain like i think i think you could have just talked about him as this big star shown his billboards talked about him with with jerry renfro and then just only ever seen him from a distance I, and i think that you could have done that that bit of the movie just as funny, but I, I wonder though. I I, th- I think there's a there's an element of uh, dramatic irony where we understand what's going on with him and he doesn't. That I recall yeah. being funny as well. Where yeah. where he 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 doesn't know why. I remember at the end of the movie where he doesn't know why he has to say "gotcha, gotcha, sucker." Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. they really need him to say it. it. It's that whole paranoia about the aliens. That, yeah. That like every interaction with them while they're filming him makes him be more paranoid that he's he's being persecuted by you know aliens in this case so it's yeah i mean that that is a bit that they that they use the intersecting storylines to to draw out that that may not have been there if you if you didn't have access to the to interactions with kit ramsey but i, I think it, it it yeah i don't know i, I think it's a, a bit that could have been done a little differently and still been funny and, and took taken a little bit of clutter out of the movie but that's me todd what do you what do you think i know you <laughs> you came into this with the freshest of eyes. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it maybe not so much because uh, it took me three times to get any traction on trying to watch the whole movie. <laughs> I, I, sure. I couldn't get past maybe 20 minutes in. It, it just made me cringe so bad. My worst yeah. theater going experience is uh, one time my mother and I were out and about doing stuff, just the two of us, you know, out of town. And mom, for some reason, decided, hey, why don't we go see a movie? Everybody else is doing their own fancy stuff, so why don't we go do something together? And so we went sure. to see House Sitter, another Steve Martin movie, Steve Martin Goldie Hawn. And yeah. um, by five minutes in, both of us were hurt. We couldn't stand the movie. It was it was so painful to watch, <laughs> you know, because it was nothing but just lies and deceit and trying to keep the lies rolling and that kind of thing. Literally, the the worst experience. I remember most of the movie now still because it was just so <laughs> bad. And then, so it's I like started a, watching it's like this a two hour long three yeah, company episode, basically, except not yeah. funny. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and then, and then I start watching this one and I'm getting the same vibe off it. And I'm like, it, it's, it literally, I'm having PTSD and you know, like, I, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Why did I accept this, uh, this assignment? Okay. I finally get going on it. Eddie Murphy finally shows up. Things start yeah. getting better as, as it get you know as, as you get into the last ten minutes maybe I'm like okay this this is a decent movie but it was so hard for me personally just because it was just so similar I hate how this works out it's Steve Martin's fault you know because he he wrote both of <laughs> well, these things and yeah. it was starred in both of these things 
but I love Steve Martin. Roxanne is one of my most watched films. I love that. It's one of the movies that my family and I talk to each other in the lingo of. I work in a, in a surgery center. We have 14 ORs, and every time we need to go to the 14th OR to do something, I'm always, 14, chief, which is what <laughs> one of his crew tells him when asked how many jokes he's told. Yeah, it's hard for me to reconcile these movies that, you know, it seems like he had a whole period where, like, every other one was kind of like this. And, yeah, yeah I yeah, it, when I got to it. It was hard. It was hard for me, which sucks because there's so many quality people in this entire production. Yeah. And there were a few things in this that were a little bit harder for me to watch, too, like the, the Heather Graham character, the, the Anne Heche inspired character. I mean, when you get through to the end of it, it's so over the top and it's clearly parody that like. You, you don't feel too bad about it, but watching some of the bits, you're like, because she follows a pattern. It's like, this guy's important to the movie. Okay. Well, to, to making the movie. Okay. Well, I'll go sleep with that guy. And you know, she essentially sleeps through the whole thing and, and her like terrible acting of like standing there and like wiggling her arms through every scene she's in is, <laughs> is, uh, yeah, it's, it's just bad. It's really cringy to watch. You eventually understand that it's, it's parody and clearly she knew what she was doing when she, when she took this role, you know, it's not like someone was, was forcing her into this, uh, but yeah, it, it, it didn't feel great watching it through again the, the first time through. So yeah, I think, like I said, Hollywood likes making movies about Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I think this is, this is definitely one of those, right? I think, I think people who are, you know, for the same way that, that if there's a TV show that was shot in Chicago, I'll watch it because <laughs> no matter how bad it is, I'll be like, oh, look, I know that place. You know, it, it, people, people in the business will, will get all the jokes. And I think it's more, probably more fun for LA based entertainment type people. Not that I didn't enjoy it. I, I did, I did find it funny because it is, so clearly over the top parody, but, right. but yeah, it, it, yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's satirizing lots of actual real things. And, you know, we know all about these things now, but when this yeah. movie came yeah. out, people would have looked at that and gone, why, why are they doing that? Why, why, why do they act <laughs> like this? Well, it's just an over the top version of stuff that happens every day in LA, which can feel like a parody. All yeah. On its own. Yeah. Being in LA is already a parody. So all right, well, let's let's wrap up our our time here on Bowfinger. Uh, it's been a great week. <laughs> Minutes six through ten, I think everyone will agree are the most important of any film. So I'm glad we were here for that. Mm. <laughs> um, go check out minutes six through ten of Edge of Tomorrow Minute, and you know whatever episodes Johnny was on. Do you, do you remember which ones we? You I don't believe remember. that it was uh, that it was sixty nine and seventy one. Really? Okay. <laughs> we just get forward with you. I had it. I had it. Uh, it would have been like either 69 and 70 or 70 and 71 or. It no, it wasn't. It was. Oh. Not. Hold on. I'll tell you exactly what it was. It was. How did that happen? No, you are right. It was 72 and 73. Oh, OK. So I don't remember anything going that wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something would have gone really strange for us to have mm-hmm. you on non-consecutive. Episodes. I, th- I thought I thought they were not. I thought they were not consecutive. Now, actually, yeah. now that I'm thinking about it, it makes the movie make more sense. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, something's got to, right? So uh, the movie makes more sense than the podcast. That's for sure. Mm. Go over to edgeoftomorrowminute.com, download all the episodes, and then go to like your mom's phone and download them on her phone. 
and then your cousin's phones and download them. Cause frankly, we just need the stats because we're, we got ads to sell. No, we, we don't really. <laughs> there are no ads. There, there are no ads. It's fantastic. Yeah, no, it's ad free yeah, it, wilderness. We, that is our podcast. We do this out of the kindness of our hearts, you guys. So, um, and there are probably other reasons, nope. but I don't know what they are. <laughs> Listeners can find this podcast, the Bowfinger Minute podcast, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, probably like iHeartRadio and what's the Odyssey and who knows what these are. Stitcher, probably. I don't know. Go look, go look for it. Just type in Bowfinger Minute podcast. You'll, you'll find it. You know, you know how the internet works. Uh, or just go straight to the main site, bowfingerminute.com, where Jim will carefully aggregate them and probably like blog posts and stuff because he's on his game. So uh, if you have time after you've done all of that, because you can't just pick one, you're going to do all of it. Go like and subscribe and review this show on Apple Podcasts. The social media for this show is at Welcome to Mindhead, the Bowfinger Minute Listeners Center on Facebook or on Twitter at Bowfinger Minute. On Fridays, we like to mention that there are hundreds of other Movies by Minutes podcasts all available at moviesbyminutes.com. You should check out the site for more great shows and some just okay ones. I, I don't know why. I, I You're always doing that, man. Who, who in particular are you throwing under the bus when you say that? Uh, uh, we'll, we'll talk off air. <laughs> the, the singer of the theme music for the Bowfinger Minute podcast is Mr. Math, and he's available on Spotify. I, I haven't checked it out yet. But it, I'm hoping it's more than just the Bowfinger Minute podcast theme song. <laughs> Please join us <laughs> here or so, join someone else. Join, you know, the, us, the royal us. Uh, the royal we. Yes, th there'll be another team on Monday. And uh, we're not sure who that is right at the moment. But uh, uh, no, I, I, I know who it is. Do you know? All right. Yeah, it's it's Roadhouse, Roadhouse Minute, Minute. Is, is up next. So they'll bring you through, uh, I guess, seven through what's five more than seven. 15 no 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 sorry they'll take you 11, 11 through 15 15 yeah Th that's next week so don't worry about it until monday in the meantime keep it together 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 children i hope that we'll see you again Cause there's always One more show Cause there's always One more show